live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello and welcome to Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, Last night, Donald Trump delivered his third State of the Union address in front of a joint session of Congress as a president who has been impeached by the House of Representatives on charges of abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. In the hour and a half long speech, an hour and a half long too many, uh, in my opinion, Trump bragged about the strength of the economy, bestowed the Presidential Medal of Freedom on the racist, sexist radio host Rush Limbaugh, and spent significant time railing against undocumented immigrants and touting the success of his still mostly unbuilt and unfunded border wall. Today, all three Generation Progress directors, Brent J. Cohen, Brent, Hello, hello. Edwith Theogene. Hi. And Charlotte Hancock, that's me, are coming together to discuss the speech and current state of our union, both what Trump said last night and what he <laughs> neglected to address. So we're excited to, to talk, we're have, to have this conversation today, y'all. Yeah, no, I'm super excited to talk about this uh, with both of you. Uh, I mean, I, I'm excited to talk about, I'm excited to talk with both of you. I am not that excited to talk about this. I'm going to be honest. This was gross. <laughs> I mean, the entire thing was gross. It was full of lies. It deserved to get ripped up. It was fortunately ripped up uh, at the end. But uh, Nancy Pelosi really came out as a boss. I saw that. Uh, <laughs> no, she she consistently does so. And it's, and it's uh, we're going to talk about Donald Trump's State of the Union address and, and all the lies that are included in it, all the uh, division and, and partisan pol- um, re-election speech that it essentially was. Um, but we would re- be remiss if we didn't also acknowledge uh, those on the right in the civility police who are so enraged that Nancy Pelosi had the nerve to rip up this <laughs> speech full of lies and yet have absolutely no problem with Donald Trump using uh, taxpayer money to extort a foreign nation to help himself in a re-election bid, that have absolutely no problem with uh, members of Congress chanting four more years at a State of the Union address, which is unheard of, have absolutely no problem with a uh, candidate. He's not even the president in this regard. He is the, a candidate for president. He is... Uh, it was a stump speech. A st- using a stump speech. It was a desperate stump speech. But using the military, active duty military, as a political pawn in a stump speech at at a session of joint uh, joint session of Congress. I mean, they have no problem with all those broken norms, but damn it, and Speaker Pelosi ripped up paper. Yeah, ripped up but paper. like, also, can we go back for a second here? And I don't, I don't want to be like, oh, well, he started it. But literally, the man walked in, she reached out her hand for a handshake, and he like, saw it and like, looked past it. He, he like, he like, didn't even take her hand for a handshake. So if we're talking about pettiness and norms here, and who, uh, and who was sort of like, on the on the starting team here of uh, like sticking, like going against protocol. That's right. uh, I think that would be Donald J. Trump. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. And it's a uh, it's a shame and indictment on the United States Senate uh, majority that he continues to sit in an office that he is clearly unfit to hold. Um, so, um, okay, I get, yeah, you got it. We're a little biased here. I mean, like you've got you got where well, we it's stand. Pro- it's <laughs> progressive talk radio. You, I know, I know, but you got where we stand. <laughs> and I think like this is this these are all like this is all the grossness. This is all these are all like you can tell how we feel, but we also have some facts we to some back facts. up the BS. That's right. That's right. So, so I mean, just jumping into it off off top, he was three minutes in, and he said, um, you know, the state of our union is stronger than ever before. I think, sadly, that is not a true statement. 
We know it's not a true statement um, for a whole variety of reasons, not the least of which that we have a president that is bringing us closer and closer to dictatorship uh, and authoritarianism. It's not a true statement um, because we have, uh, we are losing hundreds of people per day to gun violence, and we have a um, number of bills that have passed the House, but we have a Senate Majority Leader who is working uh, in lockstep with Donald Trump to block all of those life-saving bills. We are not stronger than ever before because uh, we have a student debt crisis that is raging out of control um, that uh, this president refuses to address or even talk about. Um, and we have uh, climate change, which is, as we've talked about on the show in the past, uh, helping to increase the frequency of extreme acts of weather, including wildfires in California, which we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, both the intensity of those wildfires as well as the frequency of those wildfires, and Donald Trump's plan is to plant trees. Pulled us out of the Paris Agreement, but the plan is to plant trees. That's sort of like a, an example of, I would say, his sort of like Band-Aid or, yeah. or like photo op style, uh, right. like style of leadership all the way through, right? And like was totally uh, on display throughout the entirety of the State of the Union. Everything about that was like a reality TV show, photo op, YouTube style, like attempt at going viral. It was, I mean, I think that the planting trees, that's just like one example of the way Donald Trump chooses to sort of address these issues and put this little, little teeny, like, you know, those little round, I, I was going to say, like, put a Band-Aid on, but, like, you know those little tiny round Band-Aids that yeah. are, like, good enough for, like, a paper cut or, like, a little nick? I would say that's the type of Band-Aid we're talking about. Well, over a huge gash. <laughs> and and that's been Donald Trump's approach to criminal justice reform, an area where I've spent the majority of my career, um, an area where he, including last night, declared himself a criminal justice reformer, launched a Super Bowl ad, um, really... Uh, highlighting in you know or at least trying to create a narrative that he is reforming a criminal justice system um, and I think uh, the reality of the situation is for whatever small little band-aid to fix whatever gashes out there he is at the same time in his administration inflicting more and more gashes uh, that uh, somehow conveniently go unspoken far too often but at the same time that he signed the first step back and we can talk about the good that it's done in terms of people being released from prison, uh, but also the harm that it's potentially caused uh, longer term in terms of expanding the footprint of the criminal justice system. But even even taking at face value that the First Step Act is good, his own Department of Justice is trying to reincarcerate the very people who have been let go by the First Step Act. They are arguing against release. They, uh, they have had Bill Barr and Jeff Sessions, who essentially wrote the book on mass incarceration and advocated for more of it at its height in the 1990s uh, and 2000s and 2010s after it was very apparent that decades of criminal justice mass incarceration was a failed policy that hurt communities. Um, so this idea that he is somehow a criminal justice reformer is a farce just like most things um, that he says. But that we can get into some more specifics here as well. Um, uh, just one, and, and I particularly uh, love this one in, in Charlotte, it goes to something you said earlier about uh, sort of a giant TV reality show or photo op. Uh, near the beginning of his speech, he said that his administration was lifting up Americans of every race and religion. Mind you, this what? is the same speech where he later gives Rush Limbaugh, a known racist and proud racist, uh, a the Presidential Medal of Freedom, 
and also we are just over three years into the uh, Muslim ban. Which has uh, been expanded. Which has now been expanded. To include, I think, like six more countries, and those countries are located in Africa. Like, the Muslim ban has now expanded to be more racist. That's right. <laughs> more xenophobic um, in a way that's kind of jarring. So for him to make that kind of comment that now we are a lifting up Americans of every race and religion when we're specifically excluding them and denying entry in this way is like kind of ridiculous. And his expansion of religious liberty as well and the way that he's been using that um, to really draw a wedge within this country. That, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, as a as a young child, I was a Jewish student going to elementary school for a couple of months in Atlanta, um, and they had just enacted a moment of silence. And, you know, it was fine. I, I knew that moment of silence was not for me. Um, but we know he's going to build on this, his support for prayer in schools today at the uh, or tomorrow at the uh, uh, prayer breakfast. Uh, we also know that what his definition of uh, religious freedom is really the ability, the freedom to use religion as mm-hmm. a weapon to inflict uh, pain onto others. And I think we talked about this here at CAP too. We do have a really great CAP faith team who is leading um, a response to the way that Donald Trump and his administration is using faith and religion. And as someone like I'm Christian, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and it's something that was like shared with me and my family and something really important to me. And it's so disheartening to see how Trump is continuing to use Christianity and his faith to kind of like mistreat people and continue to marginalize people. So, and that to me is not my understanding of my faith nor what, how I came to it. Um, So it's really like sad that he wants to implement like prayer in school in this way and to also use religious liberty as an excuse to, I guess, even within the administration, Secretary Pompeo is creating a new commission around unalienable rights to reorder and recategorize like human rights. Like they're taking a bunch of these different things to an extreme level that I think, um, I don't know, it's just upsetting. Yeah. And, and it's not, I mean, uh, the problem here is also that like we're talking about prayer in schools, but we're talking about Christian prayer in right. schools. This That's is right. not, this is not like a, we would like to provide an opportunity for all people of like, you know, just like regardless of creed, race, ethnicity, right. like religion, background, spirituality. It's a, what, what they're talking about here is Christian prayer in schools, uh, in a school, you know, in a country that was, uh, founded on, you know, the opposite of that principle. Right. And as a Christian, I think that is, I don't know, I feel like really upset about that because why does Donald Trump and the conservatives get to define like what Christianity is in this country and get to say that that's what it is, right? Like as a Christian, I think we should have the religious freedom. Like I I just, I would feel uncomfortable. I've been in school where we had like school prayer and like I've seen how uncomfortable my peers who are not Christian um, felt and how like some people stood up and some people didn't and they were shamed and ostracized for that you know that is not a welcoming environment I don't think that speaks to the actual values of this country yeah so when we come back we're going to talk a bit more about the uh, the lies or the mistruths or the misstatements that came in the State of the Union on the economy um, and a whole host of other issues when we come back on the Generation Progress Takeover the Leslie Marshall Show Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Charlotte Hancock. I'm Brent J. Cohen. 
And I'm Edwith Theogene. And you have here the Generation Progress directing team, directors team. We're the directors of Generation Progress. And mostly what we're doing, exactly. (laughs) Mostly what we're doing is going on a tear about the State of the Union last night. It was sort of like, uh, we got some vending to do, but we also got some fact checks and some pushback. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, let's jump in. Uh, The economy was a big part of the speech last night. And want to talk just a bit about uh, the misleading claims that came out of it. Um, I think this is, and this is part of a broader theme for this administration, talking about how strong the economy is, and then of course referencing the stock market, which is one one indicator of how an economy is doing, but certainly not the only indicator of how the economy is doing. Um, and I think uh, so. One generation progress, uh, we work with and for uh, young people, and so we need to let's at, at the outset center this on how young people are doing in this economy. Um, Young people are often left out of these discussions about uh, economic stability, economic growth, left out of conversations um, about the stock market. Uh, Most young people or many young people are not even invested in the stock market. The majority of Americans of all ages do not even have 401ks. And as millennials in Generation Z, but particularly the millennial generation, uh, we are significantly impacted by student loan debt. Uh, student loan debt that uh, is now at what's that 1.7 trillion dollars uh, more than 44 million Americans uh, one in three young adults are dealing with the impacts of student loan debt uh, student loan debt that prevents us oftentimes from uh, some of the middle-class markers of buying homes of um, <coughs> investing in retirement like 401ks of having savings um, forcing folks even those with college degrees, which was formerly like what you were told was the pathway up mm-hmm. uh, to live paycheck to paycheck. Um, so between student loan debt and credit card debt, uh, not to mention for those with children, young children struggling to pay for child care, uh, uh, which we know it's too often is uh, unaffordable for families, uh, and housing, which is often unaffordable, uh, the economy is not working for young people today. One thing to add, too, is that millennials are also um, growing and becoming t- caretakers in their family of their That's parents. Right. So we're like that squishy middle of having like student debt, um, creating families of our own and supporting those families, and then also taking care of like either elderly parents or um, whoever else, like taking care of like all the people in their families. So that's something that's growing too. So the economy is definitely not working when you're in that squishy middle. Yeah, and I also think what we're talking about here, I mean, I think the definition of um, an economy kind of going gangbusters, like I don't think we can talk about the economy in the same terminology that we used to talk about the economy. Like these are not, when we're talking about j- the jobs that young people have, we're not talking about like the unionized jobs that past generations had. We're talking about young people dealing with uh, the gig economy, working like three different jobs, working at Lyft and Uber and at a coffee shop, no, no benefits. You know, we're talking about, when we're talking about unemployment or underemployment rates like what we're seeing here is a totally different type of job market than we've seen for past generations so that's just like I mean it's like apples and oranges like when you're talking about the unemployment rate and we're talking about the economy doing well for young people here yeah I I think we do need to be honest here as well though and give credit where credit is due Um, this economy is working for some people it's working exceptionally well for the wealthy uh, who benefited from the Trump tax cuts is working exceptionally well for CEOs of major corporations and uh, lobbyists of major industries, and is really working well for his children. Uh, the Trump children have done exceptionally well uh, during this administration in terms of their economic growth. 
but outside of those small groups who he really, really cares well about, the economy is, in fact, not uh, growing at the same level that it was growing in the l- last term of President Obama. Uh, and so he inherited an economy that was, in fact, thriving, that was uh, beginning to work for more and more Americans, and it seems like has done everything in his power from imposing tariffs uh, that that resulted in uh, Iowa farmers not having uh, the same level of demand and having to then provide uh, stimulus funds, which is essentially uh, as much as folks on the right like to talk about handouts or socialism, essentially had to subsidize their work in uh, in middle America. And, you know, I'm not saying that was right or wrong. I'm saying it was unnecessary. Uh, we should not have been in that situation, but uh, there was a vanity project to impose tariffs on another country and that's what this resulted in. Um, and so, uh, you know, yes, the economy is working in terms of the stock market, but the economy is failing in so many other ways, including stagnant wages uh, for the vast majority of our nation. Yeah, people in the bottom half, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a viral CBS News video, I think it was like a morning show type video, um, where people were asked to divide up a pie in a shopping mall and sort of say like, which chunks of this whole pie, like if you were to take this whole pie and divide it up amongst um, all of these plates, can you tell me um, who is, we're talking about like 1% of Americans, like middle class, upper middle class, uh, like lower class, people living below the poverty line, like how would you divide up this pie? And people were shocked shocked to see that basically the entire pie went on one plate. Yeah. Right? And then it was like a slice that was like sliced. Like they had to take the one slice of pie and like slice it even more of like, So So on that note, and this quick note before we hit to a break, um, he also claimed that the number of people receiving SNAP benefits had gone down and was celebrating this, not acknowledging that he was kicking families and children, 700,000 off of SNAP. Um, and that his cuts included taking free school lunch away from children, 100,000 children. So, yes, it is, in fact, true that SNAP has gone down. It's also horrific how it has gone down, why it has gone down, and it should not, in fact, be celebrated. Uh, More on this State of the Union address when we come back after this break here on the Generation Progress Takeover. Um, today, Generation Progress is talking about the State of the Union address, which was last night by Donald Trump. So we are joined. I'm Edward Theogen. I'm Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Yeah, so let's jump right back in. Um, we were talking about the economy and all the awful things that Donald Trump has said and all the lies that he said. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so one of the most galling statements, I think, from last night was around health care. Um, and... Uh, he he continues to make this claim that the healthcare system has improved since he took office. We know that to be false. Um, he claims that he vows to protect pre-existing conditions. Part of the reason that's such I'm sorry to protect people with pre-existing conditions. And part of the reason that's such a galling claim is because hit because the Department of Justice that is being run by his Attorney General that he appointed. Uh, is arguing in the Supreme Court right now that the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, should be scrapped with no replacement and that that would eliminate protections for pre-existing conditions. They have not put forth any plan to protect people with pre-existing conditions. They literally want to scrap any protections for people with pre-existing conditions, meaning that folks would not be able to get insured or where they are able to get insured at really, really escalated rates. It is, uh, it's just one of these gaslighting moments where the truth is one thing, and he literally gets up there and says the opposite, and people clap. 
It's like smoke and mirrors. Well, didn't they clap as well? Well, sorry, I was going to go off another like topic, too, because we were just talking about recently that the anniversary for the Parkland shooting came and Donald Trump made a comment about protecting the Second Amendment rights and people applauded for that. That's right. And I mean, we need to talk about that, right? We have 100 men, women and children who are killed every day in this country because of guns. One hundred thousands over the course of a year. Um, There were 417 mass shootings and more than 35,000 gun related deaths in the United States in 2019. Trump and Senate Majority Leader McConnell have refused to take action at all, even though the House has passed several bills on this. Um, and and he continues to sort of sow division here. You saw in Kentucky just a couple of weeks ago where you had uh, so-called gun rights activists filing into the uh, Kentucky Capitol with semi-automatic rifles around them. Um, it was a local militia. Let's call it what it is. It, like, <laughs> some some was local, but some folks came all the way from like Virginia and no, outside states. But, I, what what about, about the march? I'm Virginia? saying like, what would that it have been called if those were not white people? Like, That's true. <laughs> That's right. And I and, mean, in Virginia too. I was just going to highlight that they had a rally, a huge march about protecting their Second Amendment rights and guns too, which was also kind of jarring. Yeah. And you know, in that moment, Fred Gutenberg, the uh, the father of one of the uh, Parkland victims, stood up during this this monologue about protecting Second Amendment rights, and he was uh, escorted out of the State of the Union address. But uh, much respect to uh, to Mr. Gutenberg and the work that he's been doing um, since since the uh, since the shooting at Parkland and, and the loss of his daughter. Um, but that that was one moment, I, sort of. Moving from gun violence to climate change, you know, one of the claims Donald Trump made was that the United States is now energy independent. He said, with the tremendous progress we have made over the past three years, America is now energy independent. Mm -hmm. But in 2018, the United States imported about 9.94 million barrels, so nearly 10 million barrels per day of petroleum from nearly 90 countries. Uh, with 43% coming from Canada and another 16% coming from Persian Gulf countries. So, uh, you know, again, his solution to climate change, his solution in this space overall is pull us out of the Paris Agreement, but let's plant some trees. Well, you don't have to have a solution to climate change if it doesn't exist, right? Like, <laughs> just, That's what I was going to say. Does he believe in climate change or mm. is he still denying that climate change? He denies climate change exists. But planting trees is a great response to this <laughs> question I'm also mark. from Florida which I'm always afraid of is just going to go underwater one day or like this hurricane might be the last hurricane you know and we've seen just like an uptick of like all of these natural disasters throughout the country throughout the world and it does draw concern and I think it goes back to the comment that you made earlier uh, Charlotte that this is like this weird band-aid yeah he's just putting on top of these issues yeah as you're talking about being from florida and talking about hurricanes um i'm from i'm from the u.s virgin islands and um two years ago we were hit back to back by two category five hurricanes um which is which is wild which is just outrageous i mean these are like the sort of thing where you're like oh it's like a hundred year storm like no who gets hit back to back by two category five hurricanes we got hit by irma and we got hit by maria and then 
you know, FEMA, since it's a U.S. territory, FEMA comes in and it's like life saving. Uh, Like, I can't imagine what would happen if we didn't have federal government emergency response coming in after these storms. It's just total chaos. Uh, Like we we have no resources. There's no power. uh, We're totally cut off from the outside world there um, since we're an island. And you just see the difference between um, some of these islands that have additional bigger federal support and some of them that don't like thank God for FEMA um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands after these hurricanes. Um, and then the next year, the Trump administration decides that we got to move money away from FEMA. We got to move money away from emergency response and put that into uh, ICE raids and detention centers. That is that was a choice that the Trump administration made. So not only is it climate denial, it's sort of like fully reallocating resources um, for the things that he knows are happening and shifting them to his cruelty priorities. Right. Like, look at Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so speaking of that shift of funds from FEMA to immigration, uh, one, that that should not have been allowed to happen, right? We need to be really clear that uh, Congress appropriates funding, and the Trump administration did not get the funding that they wanted, so they literally took it from a different agency and moved it over to ICE and DHS. Uh, he And he talked quite a bit about uh, immigration last night and, and specifically um, highlighted really a tragic story um, about um, um, people who have been killed, um, highlighted the relatives of those who have been killed, um, and he specifically, I think, talked about illegal aliens, which is not language that we use, um, but people who were tragically killed and, and the person who killed them was an undocumented immigrant. Um, but he then pulled that story and went to the concept of sanctuary cities and started bashing sanctuary cities overall, saying that crime is higher in these places, that this is what happens, that California is being overrun. So as you hear uh, Edwith talk about being from Florida and Charlotte talking about being from the U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, I often claim New York, but I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, And so being from California, it's important that we make the point that counties with sanctuary policies actually have less crime than similarly situated counties that do not have sanctuary policies. There are a bunch of reasons for that, one of which is that uh, undocumented immigrants actually commit crimes at much lower rate than American citizens do. Um, And another reason for that is because when you allow people to live out of the shadows, meaning that if someone sees a crime take place, they have the confidence and the assurance that they can go to the police or other authorities and report that crime uh, without the threat of deportation. You see folks being part of like literally community accountability in a way that you can't have when you have people in your communities who are afraid if they say something, if they report what they've seen, that they will in fact become the object of the investigation even though they had nothing to do with the act that should be investigated. Um, And so allowing people to step out of the shadows and have them be whole members of community uh, makes a huge difference and also lowers crime. Uh, Counties with sanctuary policies have less crime, less poverty, higher household incomes, lower unemployment than comparable counties without such policies. We need to talk for just a second here about the border wall, too. Uh, Yeah, because he had lots of of, uh, uh, wild claims to make about the border wall. That's right. So he, he said, he claimed that under his administration, uh, he he personally, I guess he went out there with a hammer and some drills. <laughs> he, because... He Bob the Builder. Le- yeah. You know, he knows how to great build, build great structures. Nobody else. Um, <laughs> he 
has built more than 100 miles of new wall on the Mexican border. But there's an important point that he left out there. What he doesn't say is that just one, just one of these miles has been erected where no barrier existed before. Just, you yeah. know, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm fine with that. <laughs> and also, like, you know, it's just yet another misleading claim from right. from a man in front of a microphone. Yeah, because the vast majority of the construction has been replacement or reinforcement of barriers that already existed. That's right. So he basically, like, did a quick paint job. And a, he's yeah. like, yep, 100 new miles. And yeah. then one of those walls fell down. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I did see that. There was a yeah. video. And the thing, I mean, <laughs> the thing that he didn't talk, so he did lots of fear-mongering. He did That's lots right. of things to sort of in, incite hate, incite fear, incite xenophobia. But what he didn't do was talk about um, what he and his administration are doing to sort of like impart terror on the immigrant community uh, in the United States. Things Trump didn't talk about. The historically high number of deaths in detention, uh, human rights abuses committed by um, his his ICE department um, and raids by ICE. Uh, I mean, talk about, like, talk about sort of, like, fig leaf situation here. (laughs) That's right. No, he did not talk about children dying in in custody. He did not talk about children being forced into cages and separated from their families. There have been plenty of reports that have come out in more recent months about the fact that the administration and and the departments responsible for this didn't even have a plan to match parents and children back up after this happened. And so we still have thousands of children who do not know where their parents are and parents who do not know where their children are. For years. That's sick. Yeah. That is state-sanctioned abduction of children. I'm sorry. I I don't know how else you describe that. But literally, how do you take one's child away from the parent and not have a plan plan to reunify or to keep them in touch? Even, Even if... Even if they are not allowed to stay in the country, which we can have a whole separate conversation about immigration policy on that front, but the inhumanity of separating parent from child with no idea about how you're going to get them back in touch again. And the trauma that it inflicts when you separate a parent from a child. Yeah. The trauma. That is out of step with American values. Yeah. I think that this is a whole statement about, like, all these activities and stuff like that are a whole statement about, like, how the Trump administration views immigrants. And it's really, really sad. I mean, I think recently there was a... Like, there's this rule and all this stuff that's happening around uh, anchor babies or, like, this concept of anchor babies, quote which is also quote. not a yeah. term. I'm using quotes. Yeah, you can't see it on the... finger quotes, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> about, like, really trying to determine whether someone is pregnant or planning to be pregnant when they come to this country and that if they give birth and trying to prevent those American births um, as ways for them to get into this country. And it has created a lot of... Um, stereo like it provides really bad situations for people it allows more racism to exist within our immigration system it also allows people to have these stereotypical judgments around who is allowed or should be giving birth like in this country and I think it really digs at that factor on dignity and humanity of immigrants yeah no I think you're absolutely right so when we when we come back from this break we're going to talk a little bit more about what the response was to the state of the union and what the what the path forward looks like uh, uh, you know, going into this into this fourth year of a Trump presidency. Uh, we'll be right back on the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Brent J. Cohen. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. And I'm Edward Theogene. We are the GP directors. Woohoo! And we are talking today about Donald Trump's third and hopefully final State of the Union address. 
And uh, we've covered a range of topics so far. Um, one of the things we haven't talked much about has been the the, the role and the job that Donald Trump has done hand-in-hand uh, hand with Mitch McConnell over the past three years to really uh, change what the demographics and makeup of the United States federal court system looks like. Uh, certainly on the Supreme Court, it's gotten a ton of attention, uh, you know, with the stolen Supreme Court justice uh, that happened at the end of President Obama's term, the beginning of Donald Trump's term, followed by uh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings uh, and an eventual confirmation. Um, but it's not just that. He's appointed nearly one in three federal judges at lower levels of the federal bench, bench including federal appeals courts. Uh, huge implications here, um, including on a, on a variety of issues that we care deeply about as generations, that we care deeply about as an organization, um, including uh, having uh, judges who are hostile to reproductive freedom and reproductive rights, immigrant rights. Um, and, you know, he really highlighted the fact that he's able to been able to nominate and confirm a record number of judges, all the while Mitch McConnell continues to block life-saving measures on in the gun violence and climate change and criminal justice space. Can I also add, like, that the way that they are packing the courts, they're an overwhelmingly number of white male slate of judges. So there's a lack of diversity on the courts, which is also going to impact the outcome of decisions and impact, um, the like, it just impacts, like, our history and the integrity of the court as well. And, so. and in addition to that, I mean, we're talking about a system that's supposed to be uh, fair and impartial. I mean, these are also judges that we're talking about that have not committed to being fair and impartial judges. We know that they have uh, several of these appointees yeah. that have been uh, sworn in and approved to have a history of either, like, making racist comments or, uh, you know, in the case of, unfortunately, our Supreme Court, uh, like, allegedly sexually assaulting, like, a number of women. So, I mean, this is also just, like, these are not good guys. Yeah, no. and there was a shocking number of uh, judges who eventually went on to become, or nominees who went on to become confirmed judges, who would not state on the record that the Brown v. Board decision, the 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 famous Supreme Court decision that desegregated America's schools, was the correct decision. Yeah, um, that is, that is the type of judiciary that is being built under this administration. So what what next here, right? Like we've got we've got just a few more minutes here on the show. We would be remiss if we did not lift up the response by uh, Governor Whitmer from Michigan, um, and she spoke a bit, uh, uh, in, in specifically about the role that young people have in um, ensuring our democracy going forward in terms of fixing what's happening now. Um, one of the things she said is that's why I'm so inspired by young people. They respond to mass shootings, demanding policies that make schools safer. They react to a world that's literally on fire, with fire in their bellies to push leaders to finally take action on climate change. Uh, it's what gives me great confidence in our future, and it's why sometimes, uh, so glad to have them in the room, paraphrasing here. Um, so I, I have to tell you, as an organization that works with and for 18 to 35-year-olds, young people in this country, um, as 18 to 35-year-olds ourselves, we are older millennials at this particular table, um, it is good and, and I think way past time to have elected officials recognizing the leadership of young people in moving us forward. And it too gives us hope, gives me hope, I will speak with I statements, <laughs> gives me hope 
uh, for the future. I think it gives me hope, too. Yeah, and I I'll love... claim that hope. Yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. And I love that, I mean, she recognized the leadership and the power of young people, but she also recognized uh, the hand, sort of, that um, her generation uh, is dealing to young people. She said it shouldn't have to be this way. It shouldn't just be young people's mess to clean up. Um, it's ours. I mean, this is something I think we're going to have to tackle hand in hand, realistically. Um, but she, I also appreciated that she sort of... Um, you know, young people kind of got handed like a a a bum shot. Like the two th- in in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the economy collapsed, the banks got bailed out, student loan borrowers didn't get bailed out, young homeowners didn't get bailed out. Like this is a totally different economy than past generations have had to deal with. Yeah, and I, and I think sometimes it's not popular to say those things, right? The I think millennial generation has sort of been uh, unfairly pegged as being lazy, unfairly pegged as 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 being entitled in some ways. But the reality is, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the facts. We were handed in, in in many ways, I think, a bum deal where not only did the economy collapse, but and the gig economy went up, which in some ways is great, but also means that some of those protections you referenced earlier about union jobs, about uh, retirement savings, health care. 401ks. <laughs> that does not exist when you're launching podcasts or driving Uber or driving Lyft, and there's nothing wrong with those jobs or being paid as a consultant or a, a contractor, but it doesn't also but there but there is also things that you lose. Some um, insecurity, some future some insecurity. Yeah, there's, exactly. there's some nuance around that because we were given this, like, standard of what accomplishment and success in adulthood looks like, and that was not the case for a lot of us. Like, whether those staples, and we talk about this, I think, as a team, too, like, whether those staples are, like, buying your first house or, like, having children or whatever. Whatever that is. Yeah. And the, and the ability and economic security to do that in a way that you feel like you can, if you decide to have children, raise your children in a healthy and stable um, and conducive environment. Uh-oh, Brent's talking about reproductive justice. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Edwith has, like, pointed out it's actually everywhere. It is everywhere. <laughs> um, well, you've been listening to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, it's I actually had a lot of fun talking to you guys. This has been sort of like, I know it's a little bit of a, a tirade. I was actually, I was honestly a little bit sweaty. I was like, <laughs> we don't always have guests on. I mean, th- this it was, is the first time we haven't had guests since yeah, I've been here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and I'm so, still getting used to like the microphone and stuff. So. so give a shout out to Emily Leach, our senior press associate mm-hmm. at Generation Progress for He's making amazing. sure that we are ready and prepared. Got all the um, facts. That's right. Shout out to Mark Grimaldi, the uh, producer for this show. Thanks for having our back every single week that we are on. Um, Edwith and Charlotte. Edwith, where can folks find you on social media? So you can look me up on Twitter, uh, uh, who is Edwith, because who is Edwith? (laughs) And Charlotte, where can folks find you? Uh, So I'm Charlotte Hancock. I'm the Generation Progress uh, Communications Director and in charge of digital strategy. You can find me on Twitter at Charlotte and C-H-A-R-L-A-T-A-N-N-E. And I'm Brent J. Cohen, Executive Director at Gen Progress. You can find me at, at Brent J. Cohen. And you can find all of us at Gen Progress on Twitter, Instagram, and the rest of them. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>